More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. I am Clay Travis. He is Buck Sexton. We are rolling into the Thursday final hour of the show. We talked about a ton uh, out there already. The border, tons of discussion. Dr. Fauci rejecting an invite to the show yet again after giving us some hope that he might be actually willing to come on. Black Lives Matter versus the vaccine mandates. Horses have been banned down on the border because of a viral photo of a horse and a Haitian immigrant. We're going to talk to you a little bit about Hunter Biden's artwork that might sell for $500,000. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the ACLU, pulled the word woman out of uh, one of her most famous quotes. And we will give you the latest on the border as the chaos continues to unspool. But I wanted to tell you about a dual situation that we are dealing with right now. And that is an all-time high in growth rate of homicides, the likes of which we have never seen before. 29% increase in 2020, which is the biggest yearly increase since the FBI started tracking homicide data back in 1960. Simultaneously, in that context, The previous yearly high in growth was 12.7%, which happened all the way back in 1968. This is a direct result of the defund the police movement. Now, the left-leaning loons out there are going to tell you this is because of COVID. But if you actually look at the data, prior to the George Floyd death, the rate of murder had not increased by any substantial rate. In fact, crime was down because of the lockdowns that existed across much of the country in March and April and May. This was largely a growth that occurred in the second half of the year, and the lawlessness has continued to grow. I'm going to tie this in if you want to have a COVID connection. Buck, I saw this stat, and it blew my mind, and I think we've mentioned it before on the show, But I want to hit it for everybody out there 
who has been hearing all about how much kids are in danger and it's not safe to go to school and they got to wear masks. This stat is pretty mind-blowing when you actually look at it. More kids have been shot in Chicago alone this year, 302 of them, than have died of COVID ages 17 and younger this year. 302 kids in Chicago alone shot. 214 kids nationwide in a country of 330 million have died with COVID. Most of those kids, unfortunately, had major health conditions, Buck, such that COVID was not the direct cause of their death, but was a contributing factor along with many other comorbidities. So think about this for a minute. If you are out there, if you've got a friend, and I know a lot of you do, kids are they're terrified to have their kids in school. They're terrified to have them walking around without masks. In Chicago alone, you were nearly 50% more likely to be shot if you were a kid just in Chicago than you were to die with COVID. This is a, 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 a jarring story, Buck, because to, to me, it brings to bear what the impact of the overall rise in crime has truly been on young people. And meanwhile, most of our media and most of our politicians have focused on COVID instead of the real dangers. They've been trying to distract from this for a while, by the way, by saying that crime overall in the 2020 year, when you look at all crimes, were down. But of course, that's because most crimes are things like property crimes, you know, theft, vandalism, things like that. And when everyone's staying at home, when you yes. have lockdowns, when you have restaurants closed, when you have a society that is essentially frozen in place, you're going to see some reductions in those kinds of crimes. It's murders. We're, 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 we're speaking about human beings being killed by other human beings in a in a rise of 30 percent. That is the most since we've been looking at this at a national level since 1960. As we discuss frequently when this comes up, Clay, it was all not only predictable, but predicted by people, including the two hosts here on this show, that if you undermine police and if you just run with an with a false narrative, one not rooted in the data, one not rooted in observable reality, that police are bad and racist. I mean, that's really at the heart of the the BLM movement is built upon cops are systemically murdering young black men out of racism, without consequence. That is, the moment you look at the numbers, in any given year there might be, you know, 15 or 9 or 20 unarmed black men shot and killed by police in the entire country. And remember, unarmed does not even mean not a threat. Unarmed just means did not have a weapon at the time. And to show people or or to remind everybody of just how extreme the BLM mentality is, We all remember when there was, I believe it was Makia Bryant, who was the young woman who was in broad daylight swinging a knife at the chest, a young black girl swinging a knife at the chest of another young black girl. A cop had said, stop, 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 had his gun drawn and shot that woman to stop her from plunging a knife into another girl's chest right in front of him. And there were people calling that. A racist LeBron incident. James. LeBron James, who is doxed him. not a bright, not a bright guy, saying that that was wealthy, influential, great basketball player, not very smart, saying that that was a racist incident where he, where somebody, where a cop had murdered another. I mean, this kind of stuff has such incredible implications, negative implications for society 
that we can all feel and understand and know. But beyond that, now that the numbers are finally in, the data is in, Democrats can't be trusted on issues of crime. Democrats can't be trusted to be serious about making streets safe in places like New York, where I live, Clay. I mean, anybody who's here will tell you this place has felt considerably more dangerous since June of 2020. The numbers bear that out, but also the psychology of it, right? What makes a place safe versus not? The perception of the 99% of people of all, you know, of all ethnicities and backgrounds, 99% of people who don't break the law, who just want to go about their business, do they feel safe? And the 1% of any, and it's less than 1%, but, you know, the less than 1% that actually engages in serious crime, do they think they'll get away with it or will they be punished? It's a perception issue as much as anything, whether you're in a safe city. And you can add the data to it as you have. Well, we're combining the rise in crime with a leniency of criminal treatment, which is an awfully catastrophic duo. Because not only are we seeing a massive rise in violent crime, murder in particular, we're seeing people who commit violent crimes treated more leniently than they ever have before, such that they're put right back out on the streets to continue to pillage and create more violent crime, more victims. cyclical about this, too, when you look at some of these district attorneys who, and this is not some conspiracy, they are, their races are funded. And one of the things that's so frustrating is the left understands the machinery of city government and the importance uh, to your cause of politicizing prosecutors' offices. It's George Soros and Soros-backed organizations have been supporting district attorneys in cities like uh, Philadelphia with Larry Krasner, Chesa Boudin in in San Francisco, and other cities across America, where as a as a function of social justice, these prosecutors seem to think that society needs to collectively suffer. By having by there being more crime because we create criminals. It's not like people make choices and have personal agency. And so you have to be incredibly lenient, including with violent criminals. And then that has downstream or ramifications for the way people feel about everything going on in their community. Right. I mean, it's it's not just that you have shootings rising in places, whether it's L.A. or San Francisco or Chicago or Atlanta or New York. It's also then. Do you do people feel like they can get away with stealing from the CVS in broad daylight? Do they feel like they can go on these looting sprees that happen in stores? Well, they'll just go in, grab a bunch of expensive handbags, walk out, knowing that the district attorney in that city is not going to dole out any serious punishment. Therefore, it's worth it for somebody with the criminal mindset to engage in that kind of behavior. This is what the Democrats have wrought for America over the last 18 months. And yes, To be very clear, it was under Trump's time in office that this rise in crime happened, but it was in the last six months of his presidency, and it was incited by a Democrat, entirely Democrat-supported and built movement, BLM. And now we all know. Now we can look at the data, Clay, and say, we were right, they were wrong, and a lot of really innocent people suffered. And by the way, also cops. You know, I have a cop, I have an uncle who's retired, uh, retired career police i mean just law you know uh he was he was lapd and you you look at what cops feel like when they're putting it on the line every day you see some of these videos that get so much less attention where a cop will be engaged there's been a couple of them recently you know a a roadside stop on the highway and all of a sudden a guy goes for a gun and you know they have a shootout this cop's wondering if they're actually going to get home that night or if their wife or their husband's going to be given a folded flag i mean that's the reality of what law enforcement risks are on a regular basis. 
and they're being treated. And, and, and the fact that Democrats won't say things like cops are not actually racist systemically, that is a lie, is all you really have to know because they're not systemically racist. And the question that I have, Buck, is we saw the Ferguson effect in 2016, election year. We saw George Floyd in 2020, election year. That's now two different election years where the data has been clear. When you demonize police, thousands of more people end up dead than otherwise would based on statistical averages. Will we see BLM rise up one more time in 2024 to try and create racial angst in an effort to drive up the Democratic vote? Or will reasonable people recognize what we saw in 16 and what we saw in 20 and what the data reflects and say, we're not going to allow this to happen going forward. I'm afraid that we'll see it rise up again, kind of predicting where we're headed. But my God, when you look at this data, it is so indisputably true and clear. It's it's just wild to think about uh, that that we could be here. But I got to tell you, if we've learned anything since 2020, it's that they, and we've learned a lot. There's nothing quite as important as a powerful immune system. It's been 20 years since Dr. Black of Texas invented Texas superfood. It is the original superfood. And it has fought 55 vine-ripened fruits and vegetables plus probiotics and digestive enzymes to help you build your body's defense from the inside out. We've learned that your immune system's job, according to Dr. Black, is to detect, deflect, and destroy bacteria you come in contact with. Texas Superfood boosts your immune system better than anything on the market. Your grandma told you to eat your fruits and veggies, but you have a busy schedule, fast foods out there. How many of us don't do it, Buck? What can we do to help make that uh, a little bit healthier in our life? You can start boosting your immune system for under $2 a day. And especially if you can't, won't, or don't eat all your fruits and veggies every day. You know, I just went, I recently, I realized I got to floss a little more probably than I do. I just went to the dentist. I also realized I got to eat a little more fruits and veggies, a little less French fries. You know, we don't, we're not eating perfectly, right? Texas Superfood is the safety net for your diet here. Start boosting your immune system for under $2 a day. Go to texassuperfood.com slash buck or call 855-TEXAS-55. That's texassuperfood.com slash buck or call 855-TEXAS-55. If the drive-bys had just listened to me, if they had just taken a moment to take note of what I said and actually consider it, they wouldn't be surprised today. The Institute for Advanced Conservative Studies. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, inspired by Rush on the EIB Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for rolling here with us on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. Some of you, I, I'm a, I like to read Soviet history. I find the history of the Soviet Union, of the totalitarianism, of the commies to be fascinating. And you to go on your honeymoon to, to Moscow one day like Bernie? No, I want to know how to defeat them because it feels like they're running a lot of the playbook these days, the Democrat Party. So I think it's important to know your adversary and actually have an understanding because, Clay, they do not teach they don't teach the history of the American Communist Party in schools at all. They do not teach the connections between the labor movement and communism at all. They do not teach people about the Soviet penetrations through the Venona Project, which we know all about, or rather we know because of the Venona Project. They don't teach it at all because the left in this country has a lot of sympathy for the Soviets. I bring it up, and also a lot of ideological crossover, because they were known for actually changing, as a function of government policy, photographs, altering what was on placards in the background of different protests in the October Revolution. Even, and this is not really necessarily, I think, as confirmed, the photographs is definite. They, they, they were, there were people who believed that they would use razors to cut out the names of individuals from registers and, and, uh, and different government documents during the liquidation era in under Stalin's uh, Great Terror. But... That's the kind of stuff you expect in a totalitarian regime, right? Well, now this isn't the government. This is the ACLU. So I understand there's a distinction. But, Clay, they've decided to take out the word woman from a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote. So here's what they change it to. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a person's life, to their well-being and dignity when the government controls that decision for people they are being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for their own choices. That's the RBG quote, except the word women and she has been replaced with person and they. 
This is truly Soviet-level stuff. This is crazy. Yeah, and again, for anybody out there who studied the Supreme Court at all, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quest for equality under the law is her hallmark, and for women in particular. So the idea that you would replace and change her wording is indicative of the spread of the tear down the monument universe, right? You have to not only tear down monuments, you have to tear down words that offend you in quotes that are otherwise iconic. And the fact that this is, I understand your point about this is not the government that's doing it, but the ACLU, Buck, used to stand for the First Amendment. They were the people who defended the rights of Nazis to protest march in Skokie, Illinois, in front of lots of Holocaust survivors. This was the group that was willing to stand up and take the slings and arrows of derision for being on the side of everyone's right to speak. And now they share the ideology of the MSNBC comment section and are effectively a tool of the repressive and regressive left. It's a shame, Clay, but they don't believe in they don't believe in liberty anymore, that's for sure. You know about carnivore trading, right? These guys have revolutionized how people like you and me can make money in the stock market. Look, if you're like me, you got little time to research all these stocks, read the charts. That's where carnivore trading comes through. They tell you what stocks look ready to explode and why. That's what Carnivore Trading gives us, the good stuff we need. They're an elite group of brilliant Wall Street traders who figured out it's time to democratize, democratize stock trading for everyone. Carnivore members receive real-time text alerts of the explosive trades Carnivore has identified right now. Actually, I already got, I think, three this morning telling me what I should get into and how heavy I should go. Right now, Carnivore invites you to see their explosive uh, real-time trades for two weeks free. Go to GetOurTrades.com and use promo code USA. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code USA. See website for terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Encourage you to go subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss a single minute of the show. You have access to all of our interviews, all of our discussions, all of our analysis of the news of the day. You can search out my name, Clay Travis. You can search out Buck Sexton, and you will be glad that you did. Go give us five stars as well. Lots of you subscribing and listening to the show on a day-to-day basis. In fact, we are poised to set a new all-time record for the show in podcast downloads in September. So thank all of you who are sharing different segments. We talked to J.D. Vance last hour. He is a candidate for the U.S. Senate for Republicans out of Ohio, also the author of Hillbilly Elegy. We've talked a lot about what's going on at the border during the course of today's show. And the White House had a briefing with our good friend Jen Psaki. And Peter Ducey at Fox News asked her about potentially some of these illegal immigrants giving birth. And they got into a testy exchange. Here is what it sounded like. You say the border is not open, but we're told by our teams on the ground, you guys are releasing pretty much all family units, couples where the woman says that she is pregnant or single women who say that they are pregnant and that that nobody actually has to take a pregnancy test unless they want to. So, Are you suggesting you don't believe when women say they're pregnant? Is that a big issue, we think, at the border? I am not in charge of 
of keeping the border secure. Do you, you guys think are. pregnant women are posing a big threat to the border? You tell me. To the border communities? You is that a big me. issue? You tell me. I'm not aware of pregnant women being a big issue of concern to people at the border. The issue is not about pregnant women. The issue is, is the border open or is the border closed? Because my understanding is that a lot of this is happening on this side of the border. I think you know the answer to that question, and I just conveyed clearly that we're implementing our border restrictions, including Title 42, including making clear that people who are coming through irregular migration, that this is not the time to come and they will be placed in removal proceedings. Well, by the way, when is it the time to come illegally? I just want to know. They keep saying this, like, hey, like, not now. This is not the time you're, to come. You're yeah. not supposed to come this way <laughs> ever. ever. The law <laughs> yeah. says you never come this way. Also, you know, credit to Peter Ducey there for just keeping it cool with snark. I mean, uh, Saki's getting snarky Saki. She's getting real snarky up there. I mean, it's getting well, a little a little out of hand. Look, Trump was very, you know, he was slapping around. I'm not going to pretend like we're all, oh, you know, the vapors. How do we handle it? You know, but let's be honest here. She's she's being a little, I think, a little disrespectful. The guy he's digging in as he should on the realities. Clay. It's important that there are it's not an accident that hundreds of women have traveled thousands of miles to get to the U.S.-Mexico border. They're trying to have a baby on U.S. soil to get around the normal immigration system that we have. That's the whole point. So they can well, get and all, also they a threat. No one's saying that, you know, they're like about to you know take over the Capitol building, all the pregnant women. I mean, we're just saying this is crazy what's going on. Well, not only that. If you set the precedent that if you say you are pregnant, you are allowed into the United States, then every woman that wants to get into the United States is going to say she's pregnant if there's no evidence that she's actually pregnant. That's part one here. Part two of this would be that basically guarantees that whichever women come in who are pregnant their children become American citizens because, as we talked about earlier, we have birthright citizenship here. And as you said, Buck, once you have a baby that has American citizenship, the idea of you being deported as the mother of that baby becomes incredibly unlikely, absent some oh, crazy crime oh, that you commit. And, Clay, let's understand, it's not only an anchor, so to speak, for the mother who's an illegal who's in the country – but it also then becomes, just give it some time, we need to do, the Democrats will say this, family reunification. So, you know, the 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 husband who may be back in, wherever we're talking about now, Chile, you know, a Haitian immigrant who's in Chile or Brazil, and the uncles and you know, whoever, oh, that we need to bring the whole family in and bring the whole family together. A lot of our immigration system, even now, now we're actually talking about the legal immigration system, is premised upon uh, family, what they call family reunification or essentially bringing a family over that's you know has a portion of it already in the US and so when you have one kid in the country it's a huge leap forward and this is not you know this is games are being played here with the system and we can all see it and clay here here's an example when i was at the uh at the US Mexico border in Tijuana uh, San Diego a while back when there was a surge going on there this is a few years ago they said that they had a guy who claimed to be because remember then if you were under 18, you were let into the country. That was the whole thing because you were an unaccompanied minor. They had a guy who was 34 because they actually like tested him into the day. He was 34 years old, said he was 17. Is, is, is that an unaccompanied minor? Should I cry big tears for this guy? No, but it's an example of what I'm talking about is whatever rule you put in place, it will be exploited. So if your standard is, hey, if you're a pregnant woman, you get into the country, then guess what? 
every woman's going to claim she's pregnant. And I don't blame them for trying to exploit the system because that's their goal here. Well, which is why lying we, to federal officials is actually a crime. Just I, mean, it's I understand, but crime, if you're yeah. able to exploit it and they can't prove that you're lying, then that's the point of his question because immediately what happens? Those women come in, they get on their phones, they talk, and they say to every other woman who is interested that they are friends or family with, say you're pregnant and you get in. Everybody's going to be pregnant. This is what they've they've been they've been saying uh, that they have a credible fear of nothing specific, but they just all repeat the same slogans because they've been told by the cartels. As I said, they'll have a little printout even sometimes in Spanish. You know, say that you fear violence in your home country of you know Honduras or El Salvador or whatever. Yeah, those are countries that have a, a, a high a high homicide rate. It's about what it is in, like, Chicago, by the way. I mean, it's not, you know, they're not in the midst of a grinding civil war with, you know, huge body counts piling up, which is usually what people think of as, you know, Syrian refugees were people fleeing after their whole village had been bombed to the ground and people were being executed by the uh, Shabiha thugs of uh, the Assad regime. That's refugee status, right? That's, I got to get out of here or I'm going to die. It's not, I think I'll get higher wages in America than Brazil after leaving Haiti, which is what we're seeing right now. But, Clay, the problem is people have to learn all these different games and and the system and what goes on for them to really care that much about it, except for the concentration of individuals. That The visual of this is the problem for the Biden administration. Which is why they're trying to get rid of the concentration of individuals as quickly as possible, even if it means, and I think you're right, that we may well find out this is the case on Friday, that all of these immigrants, to a large extent, while they're saying, hey, we're flying some back to Haiti, which they are, it's a small percentage overall, if those immigrants diffuse themselves into the larger United States population, you don't end up with the imagery that we saw from the drones and the helicopters flying over in Del Rio, all of these people all together trying to get in the country it disappears if they're distributed throughout the width and breadth of the country i'm still fired up about the hunter biden paintings yeah we need to talk about this i might need you to loan me a little money because i need to get in heavy on the hunter biden art here and it's pricey it's pricey these these are paintings going for 50 to 500 k and you know just imagine what the reaction we'll talk about this when we come back but hunter biden who has never sold a piece of artwork before has some of his art being priced at five hundred thousand dollars it's unheard of those are unbelievable uh prices (laughs) it's like he should just go all out with this and just have it be finger paintings you know like just make it look like what your what your kindergartner would bring home from art class because it might as well be i mean what's we all know what's really going on here which is influence peddling and selling uh, of inf- but we'll we'll get to that in a moment which he's already done for decades yeah, on this behalf is what of this guy this is what this guy does but nearly one third of americans suffer from chronic pain as a result of aging exercise overexertion and the effects of everyday living it's hard to diagnose and solve chronic pain There's one solution we speak of that's working for a whole lot of people in this audience. It's a product called Relief Factor. Created by doctors and perfected over 15 years of scientific research, Relief Factor was made for you. With four key ingredients, Relief Factor is a 100% drug-free product which addresses joint pain, knee, hip, back, neck, and shoulder pain. Hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and about 70% of them go on clay to order more. No kidding, including my wife and Buck's dad makes a big difference, and you can join the more than half a million people that have ordered the three-week quick start for only $19.95. This is less than 20 bucks for three weeks. Why not try it and see if it works for you? How do you get it? Go to relieffactor.com. 
or call 800-4-RELIEF to get the 1995 three-week quick start developed for you. Again, relieffactor.com. You can call 800-4-RELIEF. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, a new form of broadcast excellence inspired by Rush on the EIB Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Closing up shop here for the day. Just for the day. We'll be back tomorrow. Don't worry. Don't fret. On the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. The Clay and Buck podcast available on the iHeart app or wherever you listen. If you ever miss a moment, you ever want to hear it on demand. If you're uh, you know at the gym and you don't have access to one of our fantastic affiliate stations, 400 plus affiliates across the nation, you can listen to the podcast. Uh, Hunter Biden is an artiste. I mean, I really feel like he should just lean into this play. Like he should start walking around with a beret. Like I am uh, the Hunter Biden. I make the best painting. I do all of the uh, a little bit of the oil painting, some sculpture, some of these, some of that. He sells his paintings apparently for fifty to uh, five hundred thousand dollars. What the pricing is now? A few quick things on this. One, 
We all know that they're not worth that. Nobody would pay for that. There's something else going on. Let's start with that because we're reasonable, Clay, right? It's This is reasonable versus crazy is the world, the conflict that we find ourselves in in this country now. Uh, they're telling us that because the donors, I'm sorry, that was a Freudian slip. Yeah, because, I mean, it's basically that. Yeah, because the buyers are anonymous, there's no influence. Well, how do we know the buyers are anonymous? Someone just has to call Hunter and say, hey, man, I'm going to pick up one of your paintings. Click. And then when he calls back and says, hey, I need your dad to X or I need to meet with Y, you know, there's no way to track this. The ethics problems of this are, are Or you obvious. just have him over to your meeting and you've got one of his paintings on the wall. And it's a pretty good sign that you are a buyer, right? I mean, I love this. Like if for OutKick headquarters, maybe you got to get yes, a few hundred just, Biden paintings on the wall. I mean, wall. think about how crazy that is. They're like, oh, it's anonymous. Okay, you say, amazing. well, you have a contact with Hunter Biden and you send an email to him and it's like, hey... This is where I live, and it's a picture of you in front of his painting. Like, yeah. come Plus, on, we already know that Hunter is not like, trustworthy. Hey, you're like, hey, you want to see my five hundred thousand dollar painting? It's uh, I got a Hunter Biden on my wall. Any lady might be like, oh, a Hunter Biden painting. That might be. Ew, that sounds scary to me. That might be some weird stuff going on there. So Hunter Biden can sell these paintings. Meanwhile, if we all recall, Clay. Remember all the emoluments, you know, from from the legal side, you must find this fascinating. All the emoluments clause arguments they're making about Trump. The Washington Post, this was real, added up all of the expenditures that foreign diplomats had at the Trump Hotel in D.C. bar and restaurant. And it was like three hundred dollars. Sorry, three hundred thousand dollars over the course of the first two or three years of the Trump presidency. And they were saying that that was a, a, a diplomat from Finland buying a cheeseburger was a violation of the Constitution and somehow going to influence the president of the United States. They were somebody staying in any of his hotels. That was the argument, right? That you had, oh, remember when he was going to host the G8 at one of his uh, hotel locations or whatever else it was, G7. Uh, All of these were ridiculous arguments. Imagine what the reaction would have been if one of the Trump sons had started selling artwork for $500,000 and... He had just taken up art. Basically, the Biden family did everything the media told you the Trump family did. Look at what Hunter has done when it comes to Politico now, by the way, uh, Buck, has come out and said, oh, we verified that the New York Post reporting was accurate. Oh, you mean the reporting that Twitter didn't allow the New York Post to share? When they shut down their account right before the election, the fact that Tucker Carlson had on the business partners in China and in Ukraine who met with Joe Biden and talked with him about ways to make money from these deals. Hunter Biden has been trading on his father's name for decades, and it's now continuing as he is trying to make a living As an artist, people say, well, why does this matter? It's the continued corruption of the Biden family that goes to the very essence of Joe Biden, why he was running for president, that he was going to restore honor and trust and decency to the Oval Office. Instead, Buck, when you really break it down, Biden's family has done everything the media told us that Trump's family was doing. And Clay, remember in the era of the Clinton Foundation, which, oh, they weren't selling influence. They just had to shut down the Clinton Global Initiative six months after she lost the 2016 election. They just had to dramatically scale back because all of a sudden the donations 
for a charity that was about climate change and women's empowerment, I guess all of a sudden Saudi Arabia didn't care as much about, you know, women's empowerment and the climate as they did when they were giving or funneling money and all these other governments too, the Clinton Foundation. But I used to point out, I'd say, Paying someone $500,000 for a speech, which is what they used to give to Bill Clinton. Remember, Bill, Bill would give a speech. He'd make like five, six hundred K, seven hundred K. It was a lot of money. Bill would get these huge checks while his wife was secretary of state and expected to be president. And the, the, the way I would, I would frame this is, Hey, if, if Bill Clinton weren't giving speeches, if he were making, and I actually, I used to say this on my radio show, finger paintings and selling them on the market, and people were paying him a million dollars for his finger paintings, that would be considered essentially money laundering for influence peddling. But because it was speeches, and the Clintons made basically uh, 50 to $100 million off of speech giving after he left office, it was considered fine. Democrats have no ethics when it comes to this stuff. It's, or it's entirely situational ethics. There's Whatever they have never... to do, they'll justify. The next politician who leaves office and ends up poor will be pretty much the first one. It's amazing how many times people who only made $180,000, $150,000 a year suddenly end up multimillionaires as soon as they leave office, isn't it? Like, you know there's what I'm never a time. When AO- yeah, I don't to interrupt you, Clay, but when, when AOC, you know, Bernie's a socialist, Bernie Sanders. He's a socialist with three houses, right? Right. I'm excited. I want to be that kind of socialist. I, you and know, Bernie, I, by the way, actually defended Hillary's right to get paid all of that money for the speeches. Remember, right. he wouldn't even attack her over that's that. Because right. he, he wants that, that too. That's how the burn makes the money, too. Yes, that's right. But you have uh, AOC, I guarantee you, is going to be, if she's not already, a millionaire within the next couple of years. And oh, the she'll moment be worth she leaves elected million office, dollars or more. Yeah, she'll be worth tens of millions of dollars. Yes. The moment she leaves elected office, and it'll just be hilarious to see how... She's still giving the same, like, yeah, the rich are so bad speeches. Like, no one pays attention. No one cares. No, she's going to be worth tens of millions of dollars one day as soon as she decides to leave political office. And, again, people have the right to earn livings, but I just want the same standard of media aggressiveness, which was applied to everything the Trump children did, and, by the way, their spouses, To be applied to Hunter Biden, who, by the way, we know is a lying drug addict already. It's not as if he's got a sterling history of outstanding honesty in his past. And we expect that suddenly he's going to be on the up and up now when he's selling paintings for $500,000. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? What, what, What better way could you set up the influence peddling scheme than what they've already got? But Hunter Biden somehow not a big problem as far as the media is concerned, even when he's talking to people about access and the, you know the kicking back 10 for the big guy in china it doesn't matter let's talk more about the trump emoluments clause anyway we keep it real here on this show folks we will hold their feet to the fire and hold up the truth no matter what they say we got a lot of covid stuff to get into tomorrow clay we went light on the covid today we'll get into it tomorrow there's a lot to still dive into including all of the absurdities coming out of fauci it's crazy just hang out with us be a great friday You're listening to Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the EIB Network. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.